I'm glad you're here today. And if you're visiting, welcome today for the first time. Come on to the back as well and meet our people and learn more about our church. And if you would like prayer afterwards, it's so important. We say this three or four times during the service. I'll be down here today as well as our prayer team after we sing our last song. So come on down and do that. One last announcement before we get into our, uh, into the scripture is um, we're going to Israel, God willing, in February, and uh, many of you have signed up. Many of you said you would sign up, but if you haven't, now is the time to do that. Today or tomorrow, if you could sign up, it'd be a big help so we know how many are coming. It's not the deadline, but we're trying to get numbers and also you can go on the app or there's a, a card out back that tells you exactly how to do that. You've heard the announcement, those of you who are part, you do not need to be a member of the church, but you can just participate and we'd love to have you come. Thank you very much. So today I'm in a suit, which I, if you've known me long enough, you know I never wear a suit to church. I mean, people get mad at me that I don't, but I don't. But today I am because I'm going to a funeral at 2 o'clock. We had a tragedy in our church on Tuesday where one of our young adults passed away. And uh, his name was Doug Rashawn. He was one of our volunteers out back. You would see him every week helping at the door, doing different greeting. His mother is the one, Michelle, who is one of our longest employees here at the church and is the one who runs the whole back. She stands behind the desk. And if you've ever asked a question about our church, it has been Michelle who may have answered that. It was her son who passed away. And I'd like to deal with that today. So our subject of today will finish next week. So, but I really want to deal with it because all of us wonder, why do young people die? We get why old people die. But why do young people die? And I want to talk about that today if we could. And I'd like to share a little of our story of kind of how I understand it and then go into the scriptures when I was young in uh, middle school and early high school, I lost two of my grandparents, one after the other. It was a tragedy, but it was something you expect. You expect to bury your grandparents, don't you? And you wish they would last forever and they'd live into their 90s, and my grandparents only lived into their 60s, but they were older and they died, and it was tragic, it was tough on our family, but we kind of understood it. When I got into college, uh, there was uh, a family that was very close to us, a part of the church. They had three daughters who were my age. The middle daughter went missing one day. She was, I think, a junior in high school. I was a freshman in college at the time. It was right after Christmas. It was during the Christmas break, and she and her boyfriend had gone on a um, picnic, beautiful weather, early January, and they went missing. And they found their, um, their car in the bottom of a canal, but no people, no bodies. It was obviously scuttled there. And they never found the bodies for months and months and months and unanswered questions. And finally, a couple of dirt bikers were um, doing their thing one day in the woods, and they came across a shallow grave, and there was that girl and her boyfriend months later. And it was my first exposure to understanding death of young people. And so in this very room, I sat back there, 1,500 people came, 
to see this funeral. There were two families, the family of the daughter who we knew, part of our church, the family of the son who was not a part of our church, but somewhat Christianly. And I saw those two families, one bind together and the other break apart. I was an observer because I was close to this family and the other two daughters. And some of the family still attends our church here, and one is on staff, uh, a niece is on staff with us. And I saw this, and it was the first time I actually did see it, and to see that some people have hope in tragedy, and some have no hope in tragedy. And I didn't understand it at the time. A few years later, we were back in this room for another funeral. It was a funeral of a friend. We were all young. He was a father of four young children, and he died in a plane wreck. And here again, his mother, his father, his mother-in-law, father-in-law's young wife, young children are burying this young man. And again, I sat right out here where you are and thought, you know, I did the eulogy and did some of the things, but I wasn't a pastor. I was just a participant. And you go, why has this happened? We get the old people dying. I don't get the young people dying. And then just a couple of years later, Elizabeth and I sat on the front row of this building when our son's casket was right here, right here where I'm every Sunday morning, it was right here. And he died of a heart attack at 13. And you go, why? A few years later, Mark Sangree, who was just up here, his young son died, 20 or 21, I'm not sure, 19, not sure the age. He dies. And I remember I'd become a pastor by then, and I was sitting one day in the elder meeting. We, elders are our board of directors, and there's eight or nine of us. And we had a meeting, and we had taken a break, and a couple of the guys went out uh, to go to the restroom, make a phone call. And there were five of us sitting in the room. And I was sitting there, and they're talking about the next thing we're going to do. And I'm just paused, and I looked at these five men, four men and me, and I realized all five of us had lost children. Two children in their infancy, one child to a car wreck, one child to a heart attack, and one child to an accident in the ocean, kayak drowning. And you go, why? And we're sitting there. And I reminded all of them, and we all just started crying. But we didn't cry as if we had no hope. We cried with hope. And this afternoon, it won't be in this room, but another place, I'm going to do a funeral again. And when I became pastor, I've been doing a lot of funerals of people that I would have preferred not die. Again, I do a lot of older people, and we get it, and we understand it, and it's sad, but we get it. But there's a whole group of younger people. Can we look to see what God says about this? Because I don't want to avoid this because I can see it in your eyes, and you can see it in my eyes, that this is serious. The death of young people is a tragedy, but I believe God speaks into this. Can we look at it? 
I want you to turn to the book of Lamentations, a book you don't usually go to. It's between two very big books, Jeremiah and Isaiah. Jeremiah and Lamentations, Ezekiel. Jeremiah and Ezekiel. It's on page 644 if you want to use the Bible in front of you. It's Lamentations chapter 3. I'll let you take a moment to find it. And as you're finding it, just three or four, it's just a small book. It's a book written by the prophet Jeremiah. He wrote the book Jeremiah and this lamentation. A lamentation is a dirge. It is a funeral dirge. It is one of the most depressing books in the Bible. If you read the whole book, if you, if you stop at chapter two, it is the most depressing two chapters in the entire Bible. It is tough reading. And why? The reason is this. If you recall two weeks ago, I mentioned when we were talking about cities, I talked about that the children of Israel were exiled into Babylon. You remember we talked about that two weeks ago? It was 586 BC. And Nebuchadnezzar came down and he was destroying all the small kingdoms of which Israel and Judah was one of those kingdoms. And what he did, he was very smart. He took away the young people and he left the old people. In other words, an entire country's children were kidnapped. They were taken away into exile. Daniel was one of them. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego was another one of them. They were taken away up to Babylon, and what was left was the old people and the abject poor people And Jeremiah was the one who was kind of as the prophet, the leader of this very ragtag group of people. The other thing that happened was when Nebuchadnezzar came down, he didn't just steal all the guys and ladies and people, didn't just take them all, he destroyed the entire land. What that means is Jerusalem, which was the capital, We don't realize this, but if you study about Jerusalem, it was one of the most beautiful cities of the ancient world. And it had one of the prettiest, biggest, most ornate in gold, silver, and jewels um, building called the temple. People, remember, Queen of Sheba came to see the temple. Everybody, even if you were not a believer, not a Jew, not a follower of Jehovah, you still came to Jerusalem to see it, it's like people going to the Taj Mahal today. They don't go because they're Hindu. They go because it's a beautiful building. To Agra in India, they would come to Jerusalem by the thousands every year, some to worship if they were Jews that were not from Jerusalem, but many just to come to see the city. It was walled in, had this huge building in it. Solomon had built other buildings. David had built buildings. All these kings had built buildings. It was an incredible sight. And Nebuchadnezzar came and it says that he leveled the whole city. He leveled it. Now, when you level a city without bulldozers, what that means is there are piles of rocks, there are piles of gravel, there are piles of stones, there are piles of bricks everywhere. It was a city that was like a construction site gone bad. We've seen buildings torn down. There's a few being torn down down the street from here and all the rubble. Well, they bring the bulldozers and the trucks and they'd haul it away. There was no place to haul it. So here the people are living basically like snakes and rats in these, the holes and the little places that they could find shelter in all these rocks. 
And in Lamentations chapter 1, which is the worst verse in the entire Bible, it says, how empty is the city once so full of people. It was leveled down. Jeremiah then, for two whole chapters, basically, and if I can say this with respect to Jeremiah, I'm not Jeremiah, so I can't go into his mind, he put his fist towards God and said, why, God, have you done this? You have left us with nothing, and you've taken the only thing, the only asset we had, which is our children, and you've taken them 800 miles away. So they weren't killed, some were in the battle, but most were taken alive and taken away. So they were kidnapped away, never for the parents to ever see their children again. Very similar to a loss by death. Now let's turn to chapter three. Verse one, I am a man who has seen affliction under the rod of God's wrath. He has driven and brought me into the darkness without any light. Do you see the despair? Do you feel the despair? I can feel it when you read Lamentation. There is despair here. Surely against me he turns his hand again and again the whole day long. I don't know if any of you have struggled with loss have struggled with disappointment, have struggled with why, the why question to God. I have, I've been in the dark night of the soul. I know what it means. I've been there. You've been there, many of you. I do not stand here as Mr. Theologian. I stand here as a co-belligerent with you, asking the same questions that you ask. But you gotta continue the story, and the story continues So chapter one, two, and halfway through chapter three is the whole story I gave you, and basically a repeating and a repeating of a lament of Jeremiah saying, why, God, have you done this? You've abandoned your people, you've abandoned your city, and you've abandoned me, who is the person that you've called to lead this group as the the priest or the prophet. He was both at that point in time. Now go to verse 19. And he says these words, and he prays them. This is a prayer, kind of a complaint prayer. Remember my afflictions and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. Gall is vinegar, just the bad things. My soul continually remembers it. And now it shifts. There's a shift here. My soul remembers all this, and is bowed down within me. All of a sudden, we see a man whose fist is towards God has now bowed down. When you bow down, that shows humility, does it not? When you bow before a king, when you shake your head, and I shake your hand with somebody, sometimes I just shake my head as well, I'm bowing, not physically, but you're kind of mentally bowing to someone saying, I respect you. He is bowing his soul to God right now. And what happens? Verse 21, but this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Now again, you need to read chapter one, two, and half of three 
There was no hope in that land, but he has hope. Why? Verse 22, because the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. Now, that is a statement. That's not a question. That's not a what, why, who, where, when question. It's a statement. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And here is an amazing turn. He's complaining to God, complaining, complaining. Then he bows and he says, this I call to mind. And then he says, kind of in the third person, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. You know what that is? That's kind of a statement. God is good. Okay, that's a statement up here. But then he turns it personal and he says, your, uh, great is your faithfulness. He doesn't say great is God's faithfulness. He's now speaking to God intimately and saying, great is your faithfulness. Verse 24, the Lord is my portion, says my soul, therefore I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man and woman that they bear the yoke in their youth. Let them sit alone in silence when it is laid on them. Let him put his mouth in the dust. There may yet be hope. Isn't that amazing? Put your mouth in the dust means what? You are face down on the dirt. You are face down on the dirt. There is nothing. And he goes, and yet there is hope. Let him give his cheek to the one who strikes and let him be filled with insults. For the Lord will not cast off forever. But though he cause grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love. For he does not afflict from his heart or grieve the children of men. Can I give you three thoughts today? I want to give you actually nine thoughts. Three about faith, three about hope, and then three concluding thoughts. Can I do this? And they're all, I just read them all. Let's go back to verse 25. Let's talk about qualities of faith for a moment. Verse 25, the Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. Underline the word seek. It is an incredible thing. The the sister word to seek is trust. For those who trust in him, and the sister word to trust is belief. Those who seek, who trust, who believe in the goodness of God. That's what faith is. We have to believe there is goodness in God. I'll come back to goodness on earth or lack thereof, but in the goodness of God. That's number one. If you have faith, genuine faith, there's a sense that you believe in God's goodness. You seek it. You trust it. Number two, in verse 26, we're just going to go down the verses. It is good that no one should wait quietly. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Underline the word wait. Here's something we need to understand, and this is something I'm going to share this afternoon. We think goodness means time. All things work together for the good. 
We think all things work together to give us more time. Please understand there's a difference between goodness and timeliness. I remember in the funeral of our son, I've shared this many times, we're walking out, there was a thousand people here, we're crying and doing our lamenting at the time, and we get outside, and there was a man there who I'd never met, so obviously he was a friend of a friend or something. He was 90 or 88 or 90 years old, and he stopped me. We were just trying to get to the car. I didn't want to talk to anybody. I was in the dark night of our soul at that point in time. We were kind of pretty numb, and he looked at me after hearing James's two brothers give the eulogy, and they were only 17 and 19 at the time, and they gave the eulogy for their brother. And um, he said, your son has lived more in his 13 years than I have lived in my 88 years. He said, I've wasted my life. See, time does not mean goodness. Goodness means goodness. I wish we all had more time But God appoints our time, does he not? We do not appoint our time. And so please be aware that he has called us to wait. Very interesting. And it says wait quietly because the salvation of the Lord will come. So number one, it's seek, trust, believe. Number two, it's wait for God's help. It will come. And that word quietly means confidently. It means without complaint. God is going to help you. We don't know, you may not know, and I may not know how that help will come. I remember in, in the uh, emergency room as our son stopped breathing, and there's a nurse, and I didn't know this, or a technician who counts the clock when someone stops breathing and said, one, and I didn't know what they were doing. And then it was two. And by three, I realized he had stopped breathing. And it was the third minute. And I started bargaining with God. I said, God, take me and leave this boy. I had a prayer. I said, God, to four. I said, God, please take me five. Please take me six. And by 10, it was over. And God chose to take James and not Bill. And someday, I'm going to ask God, if I ever get that time one-on-one with him in heaven, I hope I do. We're going to be there forever, so I guess we all hopefully will get time (laughs) one-on-one. I'm going to ask him, why did he take him and not me? And I think I know the answer, actually, because I'm thinking of time. I told God I had lived a great life. I'm older. Take me away. But God does not trace goodness by time. I learned learned a lesson there. So trust and seek, number one. Wait, number two. And then number three in verse 27, it is good for a man, this is a man or a woman, that he bear the yoke in his youth. Bear the yoke is another word, if I can modernize that to the 21st century, acceptance. We need to accept that God's goodness and his greatness that we've been singing about is over us. That's a word called sovereignty, a big word, providence, whatever word you want to use, that God is in control. 
and we need to accept that. We need to trust and believe, we need to wait, and we need to accept. And that is what faith is during the time that you are at your darkest point. Now you go, I never lost a child. Maybe you were a sibling. Uh, It's not just about loss of a, it could be loss of a business. It could be loss of a friendship. It could be loss of a marriage. It could be loss of, you name it. There's a thousand people in here. There's a thousand different losses. You name it. But God has called us to be faithful. And then he goes on in verse 31, if I could go down to that. And he gives us three reasons to hope. So we have belief and faith and trust, and we wait, and we have acceptance of what God is doing in our lives. And then how do we have hope? Number one, verse 31, for the Lord will not cast you off forever. You may feel God has casted you off. Has anybody ever felt that? I mean, be honest. I mean, I've I have felt it. Has anybody felt that you've kind of God forgot you? Raise your hand. I just need to see if there's any co-belligerence here with me. Yes, we feel this. Please know that that is a feeling not based in truth. Now, I'm not mocking you. I'm, I'm saying it about me. It is not based in truth. It is based in a lie that God does not care for you unless he prospers you in the way we think of prosperity. And one of the things we think of prosperity is that our kids are healthy, or that our spouse is healthy, or that our parents don't die young, or whatever your loss is. But please understand, he will not cast you off. And that's the hope we have. It's an incredible hope. Number two, verse 32, but though he caused grief, he will have compassion, underlined compassion. So he will not cast you off. He has compassion on you. Can you imagine? I have compassion on you, and that's worth this much, okay? My empathy and sympathy and my wallet is worth this much to you. But God owns a cattle on a thousand hills. His compassion is this big. His steadfast love is farther than the east is from the west. I mean, you want God to have compassion on you. I know you want me to have compassion on you, but you really want God to have compassion. And he says he does have compassion on you. And that is a beautiful thing. He will not cast you off. He has compassion for you. And then down, according to the abundance of his steadfast love, amazing, for he does not afflict from his heart or grieve the children of men. This is kind of hard. Write down there, if you're writing notes in the margin of your Bible, write down, why me? Why me? W-H-Y. Why me? Question. And then put, not random. Your pain is not random. In other words, we talked of random acts of kindness. God does not do random acts of violence. God does not randomly take your kid and not your kid and does not randomly cause you to lose your business and prosper your business or randomly do this versus randomly do that. You don't have cancer randomly and you aren't healthy randomly. It's all God's doing. And we don't have a clue how or why he's doing it. But if you keep asking the question, why me, you will never get out of your hole. Can I tell you? Because it's everyone. At some point in time, everyone will have pain, sorrow, and tears. 
It's just the facts. Everyone will have that. Some will have it differently, and then finally, we will all have death. And the question is, are we ready for that death? And it comes back to the top. I'm going to go back up to verse um, 20. My soul continually remembers this and is bowed down before me. I call this to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. The word never ceases is not cut off. God's love for you is never cut off. No matter what you do, why you do it, when you do it, his love is steadfast. Steadfast means forever, it means steady, and it's not gonna be cut off. His mercies never come to an end. We know his grace is always there, but it's his mercies as well. We get his grace and we understand grace, that's Romans and all this great stuff, but it's his mercies that never come to an end. And here's the beautiful thing, they are new every morning. Can I just tell you, if you had a bad week this week, there's tomorrow morning. And it's not this, the sun will come out tomorrow stuff from Annie. I mean, that's I hope, I hope, I hope. The reality is I hope because God's mercies are new every morning. And why are they new every morning? Because great is your faithfulness. He's looking that way, not to you. Your faithfulness is not great. His faithfulness is great. My faithfulness is not great. I live in the dark night of the soul sometimes, but it's his. Now, what can we learn from this? Number one, and it's in here all throughout. You got to reread these passages. Tragedy, or if I can use, the dark night of the soul was written by St. John Divine, and he talked about it in some of his writings, not John of the Bible, but one of the saints back 500 years ago. It really reveals, tragedy reveals the presence of God, not the absence of God. God is here in the tragedies. It's not like he's over here working with all of you who are doing good. You're having tragedy. So he's over here working. He goes, oh my goodness, you're having tragedy. Now I'm going to come home, go over and help you. And then, oh, you have tragedy and God's kind of coming over here. We need to realize the Holy Spirit and God is everywhere. He is working in your tragedies. He's working in your prosperity. He's working in all that's happening. And we got to realize that God is there. In the tragedy, God is there. You may not feel him, because feelings come, feelings go. You may not think he's empathetic to you. They come, they go, but realize this, his steadfast love never, what, ceases. And you are never cut off from that. That's number one. Number two, which is a sister to that, hope is coming. Hope is coming. If you are in a dark place right now, have hope. It is coming. And it could come as soon as tomorrow morning. And I believe it could come right now. We're not at the end, but when we end, we're going to sing a song, and I'm going to be down here. A bunch of people are going to be down here. If you're in a dark place, if you're in a place that you don't want to stay in, 
come down here and let's pray. We're not praying when people, when you walk forward, people aren't going to look and go, oh, wow, look at that person. They must be in the dark place. You know what? We'll be clapping for you because I don't want people to walk in here in a dark place and walk out there and still be in a dark place. You need to come. You are here today because this is a hospital. Sometimes church is a worship center. Sometimes church is a hospital. We are here because we are broken people that need help from the Almighty God, don't we? I just think that's what we need. Not a lot of prosperity gospel in this message, is there? Wow. Lastly, can you turn to one other passage? Can you turn over to Isaiah? I know another book you don't spend a lot of time in. Isaiah is actually preceding Lamentations, Jeremiah's before it, and then Isaiah's before it. Chapter 58. I just got to give you one little verse. Because here's the end of the story. On earth, I'm not talking about in heaven now. That's the end, end of the story. Here's the end of the story. Isaiah 58, sorry, I don't have the page number for you. Verse 11 It's an incredible passage there. I won't get into it. I'm jumping into the middle of a passage, and I'm sorry I'm doing it, but we don't have time. It says in verse 11, Isaiah 58, and the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places. There's nothing more scorched than Jerusalem in 586 BC. There is nothing worse than when you are going through your thing whatever that may be. That's the scorched place. He doesn't say death of a child, death of a this, uh, lost your business. He lets you define the scorched place. It's a scorched place. And makes, uh, sorry, and satisfy your desire and makes your bones strong. That is a way of saying your internal life returns. How many of you have stayed up at wake at night? Wake up in the middle of the night It's literally, they talk about your bones aching, your muscles aching, your whole body is aching over this thing. And then he says, this is beautiful, and you shall be like a watered garden, like springs of water whose water does not fail. When the earth of your life is scorched the most, you will become like a watered garden. God is here to give you that water. And how does that come? Through his son, Jesus Christ, who gives that. Now, can I give you my conclusion of this? I've shared this dozens of times, and I know when I die, What people are going to remember are these four things, because I say it over and over again. We were in our elder prayer time early this morning where there were several who had lost children, and they said, are you going to say this? I said, I didn't plan on saying it, and they said, you got to say it. So I'm going to say it again. If you've heard it, we've got to learn it. If you've never heard it, hear it again. The four things that I learned in the loss of my son. Number one life is not fair. 
If you're trying to find fairness in your circumstances, they do not exist. Nowhere in that 1,100-page Bible is there anything that's remotely fair. Fair is a photograph that says everything is perfect. It's fair. And here's what I can say. Can I say mostly when I ask you, have anything unfair happened to you? You'll all raise your hand. Most of you will raise something negative. Very few of you raise anything positive. Do you realize you sitting here is not fair? Do you realize that you have a bank account that's not fair? Do you realize you drink potable water? That's not fair. You have USDA foods that aren't going to kill you with salmonella this afternoon when you have lunch. That's not fair. You live in Boca Raton, for goodness sakes. That is definitely not fair. You have a roof over your head. That's not fair. You have a job. That's not fair. You make money. That's not fair. Oh, we're going through some hard times now, but our hard times are not hard, hard times. They're medium hard times when it comes financially. It's not fair. It's just not fair. Number two, but God is good. Ultimately, if you do not cross the Rubicon of realizing that God is good, none of this makes sense. If you think God is a retributive, wrathful, hateful, I'm there just pulling strings and letting all these people go to hell kind of God, you've missed it. God is good. Said it there about seven times, I just read it. His steadfast love, his goodness lasts forever, his mercies are there, God is good. Life is not fair, God is good. Number three, life is a gift. All you and I are promised is today. You are not promised tomorrow. It's not happening. Now, I may live for another 1,000 tomorrows or 5,000 tomorrows or whatever. Who knows? But we're not promised tomorrow. We're promised today. Because God has said, what are you doing for me today? So many people say, I'll get right with God tomorrow. Well, the Bible tells us tomorrow may not come, right? You build those barns and you may not be able to fill them. All kinds of scripture on that. Very quickly, when our son was dying one other time, I was there with the doctor and he was, the, he was about five years old at the time. It was the same doctor that had helped us from the day he was born. And um, we were walking down a hallway in the Miami Children's Hospital, Jack Nicholas Hospital now. I was walking this way, he was walking this way. I had the weight of my son on my shoulders. He had the weight of five kids who were dying on his shoulders. He was hunched over, I was hunched over, and we hit each other almost because we didn't see each other in this hallway late at night. I was coming to spend the night at the hospital. He was going home after a long day, and we hit each other. And I stopped and I said to him, I said, Anthony, that was Dr. Chang, Anthony, I said, just tell me the truth. And he looked at me and he said, Bill, you remember the day I met you? I said, yes, five years ago in a hospital in Boston, all these things that just rushed back. He goes, James should have died that night. He should have died that night. But he lived 13 years longer than he should have died. Why? Because God in his mercy allowed him to live for 13 more years. Had he died that night, it would have been God in his mercy who would have allowed him to live a day. You may live to be 100. 
You may live to be 22. I don't know, but it's God in his mercy that gives us every new day, and it's a gift. Why? Because number four, God is in control. Life is not fair, but God is good. Life is a gift, and God is in control. And ultimately, we need to understand that, that though we don't understand it, that your soul bows down like Jeremiah's soul bowed down and says, I have hope. Your mercies are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. My friends, if I could add a fifth one, life is hard. And I don't know what your circumstances are, but I do not want you walking out those doors in a few minutes. And those of you at home, I don't want you turning off this live stream in about two or three minutes and going, oh, that was great. I want you to pray and get right with God, right where you're seated. And if you need prayer, we're gonna be down here afterwards. First of all, do you know Jesus Christ? He is the way, the truth, and the life. Do you have hope in the Father? He will get you through to the next day. And can I say, as someone, Elizabeth and I have been through our 13 or 15 year journey now, I can't remember, 2006, whatever that is, 16 year journey that we have been, there is joy that comes in the morning as well. You never think joy will ever return. Can I tell you, joy does return. It does return. It may not come for a week, month. I have a whole year I can't remember. I don't remember what I did in that next year. I just did whatever just to get through. I have memory loss of that year. I couldn't read, I couldn't speak, I couldn't talk hardly. I had others read the Bible to me. I couldn't even focus on black and white words. That's how bad it was. But there's joy that comes in the morning. Amen? Amen. God bless you all. Wherever you are in your life, we are here to help you get to the next level. If you're doing great, I'm so excited, and I want you to go to the next level. If you are struggling with something that occurred five years ago, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 30 years ago, let's deal with it today, because great is his faithfulness. Amen? Let's pray together. We're gonna sing a song, and then come forward after that song and pray with us, don't leave. If you want to learn about the church, go that way. If you want to learn about God, come this way. Got it? It's real easy. Church that way, God this way. Let's pray.